Good morning, Cornerstone. I trust that all of you are doing well, and it's a joy for me to have the opportunity to open the Word of God with you this morning. I hope you've had a good week. It's hard to believe that this is Sunday number 13 since we um, entered into the lockdown with social distancing and all of those things. Uh, That first Sunday that we did not meet was March 15th, and so we are coming up here on almost three months, but uh, this is Sunday number 13 of quarantine. I know things are starting to open back up, um, but uh, we're all still kind of finding our way out of uh, quarantine and back to normal life. I do hope you had a good week this last week. Uh, our family, we had a, we had a good week. Uh, my oldest daughter actually graduated from high school this week, uh, which was kind of interesting because with social distancing and everything, uh, graduations look a little different. For her high school up here in Santa Clarita, they actually had a drive-through graduation ceremony. And uh, so we it was uh, Tuesday. We all packed in the car. Uh, we actually decorated our car, which was kind of fun to be driving around with paint on the windows and and streamers flying in the wind. But we we drove to a place up here in Santa Clarita called Central Park and got in a long line of cars and uh, drove through. And then when we got to a certain point, my daughter got out of the car. She was in her graduation regalia, her robe, her hat. She had a mask on. (laughs) And then she walked across the stage and got her diploma and took a picture and walked back down and got right back in the car and and we drove home. So that was was unique, Uh, a bit of an unforgettable graduation ceremony. And maybe some of you have kids who are graduating this year either from high school or from college, or maybe you know people who are, and it's certainly a unique, memorable, and unprecedented time. Of course, this week there were other events that were also in the news, and I'm confident that you are well aware of those things. Coronavirus is still a thing, and again, we're entering into week 14 here of social distancing. Uh, We're figuring out what the new normal is going to be. And then, of course, over the last week and a half or so, there have been uh, the riots. And if you've been watching the news at all, you've seen some of the vivid images of looting and vandalism that uh, are showing on screens all across the country. And some of it's just Hard to believe that this kind of thing is is happening in our nation, really happening in our own backyard. And if there were a, a word to describe the situation, the word that comes to my mind when I look at what's happening in society around us is maybe the word unrest. Um, I think people were feeling restless because of quarantine. And that maybe has even contributed some to this feeling of unrest. There is social unrest. There is political unrest. There's economic uncertainty. And of course, all of this is taking place within the context of a global health crisis. And so there, there is this sense of uneasiness, I think, that many people are feeling. And I will be, uh, I would have to admit, I'll say it that way, that as a father with a daughter graduating high school and with three more coming behind her, you know, I can't help but wonder what kind of world she's going to be entering. And at a human level, there are elements of seeing everything that's happening in our society where you kind of feel a little bit concerned as a parent about uh, what, what kind of future are my kids going to be going into. 
I'm guessing you can resonate with some of those feelings this morning because you've been living in the same world that I've been living in. You've been witnessing the same events. And for about 12 straight weeks, you couldn't turn on the news without hearing about a global pandemic. And then this last week, it was all about uh, some of the protests and even some of the violent fringe elements that were characterizing those protests all across the country. In addition to that, I know that there are some of you who are going through specific trials. I know some of you are enduring severe health challenges that are completely independent of COVID-19. I know there are some of you who are going through significant relational challenges within your family or for some of you with extended family. I know there are some of you who have recently lost your job. And so there are these financial challenges and relational challenges and health challenges. And I'm sure if we were to do a survey of everyone in our group, there would be dozens of other trials and hardships that each of you are facing that are unique to you and again are taking place within the context of what many have labeled unprecedented days. And these unprecedented times naturally cause us to ask questions like why and how and um, maybe how long. And I think it's, it's normal for us to ask those kinds of questions. And the temptation can be to try to find the answers to those questions by looking to the local news or by listening to talk radio or by commiserating with friends and, and finding out what they and, and their families are, are doing to cope with the situation. And while those may be good sources of information at a human level, this morning I want us to look to the Word of God and, and think about how to answer those kinds of questions when we do face unprecedented challenges and times of trial. The events that we've witnessed over the past weeks and months, they really are unprecedented. And I've used that word a few times because I, I think it is the right word to describe what it is that we are uh, enduring. But the reality of difficult days is as old as human history. It goes all the way back to the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And so the reality is that believers in every age have been stretched, challenged, pushed to the breaking point. And in every generation, they have had to respond in faith, not in fear. They have chosen to trust the Lord in the face of hardship. And their example really is one that we ought to emulate so that we in this generation will respond likewise with the courage of conviction that comes from hearts that are anchored firmly in Christ. So this morning, really against the backdrop of everything that's been going on in the news and in our world, I'd like to look to the book of Psalms. And Mark already had us there in Psalm 33. We're going to look at a different portion of Psalms this morning. But I'd like to look at the book of Psalms in order to gain a, a proper perspective on the difficulties and challenges that we are facing in the world around us today. And my hope is that you'll be encouraged. I know my own heart has been encouraged because some of the questions that the psalmist asks are the kinds of questions that I find myself asking. And then the answer that the Word of God gives to those questions is the answer that I know I've needed in my own heart. And so I trust you'll be encouraged as well. And even as you shepherd your own heart, and then as you shepherd your kids, I think this, the truth of God's Word, gives us the, the perspective we need to be able to help them to think rightly about 
how to respond to what they see happening in the world around us. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them and turn to Psalm chapter 10. Psalm chapter 10. And this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, I see this time just because of the unique interface that we're using through Zoom as a little bit more of a devotional type of message rather than a true sermon. And in keeping with that, we're, we're actually going to look at a few Psalms this morning. We're going to look at Psalm 10, and then Psalm 11, and then Psalm 12, and then Psalm 13. So we're going to look at those four Psalms all right next to each other. And what's really interesting about these four Psalms is that each of these Psalms causes us to ask a different question. In fact, in three of the Psalms, that question is explicit. In Psalm 12, the question is implied. But really, these Psalms give us four questions that people often ask in difficult times. And I think those four questions will, will give us kind of our outline for this morning. These are, these are the four questions that I think it's natural to ask when times are uncertain, confusing, challenging. These are the questions that I know I ask. And then what we're going to see when we look at these four Psalms is that the Word of God gives us a single answer to each one of those questions. And I think you'll be really encouraged to see how God's Word answers the questions that naturally arise in our hearts when the world around us seems like it's a little bit out of control. So four questions people ask in difficult times, and we're going to start by looking at Psalm chapter 10. Now, my plan for this morning, just so you kind of know where we're going, is I'm going to start by looking at the first half of each of these psalms. Because I want us to look at the questions that the psalmist poses in each of these psalms. And Psalm 10, we don't know who wrote Psalm 10, but Psalm 11, 12, and 13 were all written by David. So these psalms really are an expression of the questions that David himself was asking when life was hard and challenging. And of course, David endured some incredibly difficult times. His life was often chaotic and tumultuous. And so we see expressed in these Psalms the natural human inclination to ask these kinds of questions. And maybe these are the questions that you found yourself asking over the last weeks and months in light of all that is going on. The first question is there in Psalm 10. And, and the first question is this. It's the question, why? Why? Well, we might expand that to say, why is God letting this happen? Why is God letting this happen? Which, which really ultimately is what's behind the question, why? When we find ourselves in really hard situations, we can be tempted um, I don't think it's sinful to ask the question why, but I just mean that we have an inclination to want to know why this is happening. And when we look at society around us descending into what, at least if you watch the news, seems like a bit of chaos, uh, we might find ourselves asking the question, why? Why is God letting this happen? Look at Psalm chapter 10. And I'm not going to read the whole psalm. I just want to read the first few verses to get a sense of what the psalmist asks here. And you can see right there in verse 1, the psalmist asks this very question. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And we'll read verse 2 in a moment, but I just stop there for a moment. The psalmist's question is very honest. Lord, why are you letting this happen to me or to us? Like when times get really hard, 
Why, why does it seem like you're somehow absent from the picture? Now, in this particular psalm, it becomes really obvious that the reason the psalmist is asking this question is because he's looking around at the society in which he lives, and he sees people who are acting wickedly, people who are acting in violence. He sees them from a human level, seemingly triumphing. It seems like they are being victorious, that they are succeeding in their evil intentions. And the psalmist is asking the question, Lord, why are you letting this go on? So you'll see there in verse 2, the psalmist begins to describe his situation. He says, In pride, the wicked hotly pursue the afflicted. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised, for the wicked boasts of his heart's desire, and the greedy man curses and spurns the Lord. The wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek God. All his thoughts are, there is no God. And then in verses 5 through 15, which I won't read those, you can read those on your own, the psalmist continues by describing the haughtiness, the arrogance, the pride of the wicked. And uh, he goes on to describe that part of the reason these wicked people act the way they do is because they assume that there will be no accountability because they deny that God even exists. And it's, it's hard when you read a psalm like that not to see some parallels with things that are happening in our own society. And the question, going back to verse 1, that the psalmist poses is a question that I'm sure many of us have asked ourselves going all the way back to the beginning of a global pandemic. Lord, why are you letting this happen? Why are you enabling a situation in which, for example, our church hasn't been able to meet for 13 weeks? Of course, for those of you who are enduring more specific trials, this question of why is a question that you might be asking related to your specific circumstance. Lord, why are you allowing me to go through this health, cri uh, this health crisis? I'm not talking about COVID. I'm talking about something specific to you. Lord, why did you let me lose my job? Lord, why is there this relationship that for some reason is so difficult to reconcile? Lord, in times of trouble, why does it seem like you're far away? That's a very honest question that the psalmist poses here in Psalm 10. And I think it's a question that we might tend to ask when life gets really hard. Now, I'm going to come back and talk about the answer to that question in a moment. My goal here at the beginning is just to go through in these four psalms the questions that the psalmist poses in the face of difficult days. And that first question is why? Lord, why is this happening? Why are you letting this happen? That brings us to question two. And question two is found in Psalm 11. And so, of course, you don't have to go far from Psalm 10 to skip over to Psalm chapter 11. This is a psalm of David, and the question that David poses in this psalm, in fact, you'll find it there in verse 3, and we'll read it in just a moment, is the, essentially the question, what are we going to do? And in light of what's happening, what are we going to do? We think of, again, the implications of what's going on in our own society. And you say, wow, in light of a global health crisis, uh, in light of social distancing, in light of the fact that they don't have a vaccine yet, uh, what are we going to do? Or maybe more recently, in, in light of the fact that many of our politicians 
hold values that are antithetical to a biblical worldview. And yet they're the ones who are making decisions about how society ought to function. You kind of scratch your head and say, Lord, what, what are we supposed to do with this? And maybe that's a question that you've asked yourself over the most, uh, over the last few months. And that's, again, a natural question that comes to our minds in times of difficulty. Even the economic implications of what's happening, whether you've lost your job, whether you feel like you might be in danger of losing your job, or whether you're just considering the long-term economic implications for our country. What are we going to do? Look at Psalm chapter 11, because David asked the same question. And you'll notice he begins, of course, by affirming his faith in the Lord. Verse 1, in the Lord I take refuge. And then he starts to talk about some of the trials he's facing. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. And we begin to sense a little bit of David's trouble here in Psalm 11, that there were those who sought his life. There were those who desired to, not just to capture him, but to kill him. And of course, we could review David's life. There are many times in David's life when this would have been true of him. Certainly when he was fleeing from Saul, later even after he had become king, when his son Absalom uh, attempted a coup, attempted to overthrow and to kill his own father in order to gain control of the throne. And there would be other times in David's life when his life was in danger, and David may have prayed a prayer like this many times, Lord, I have to take refuge in you because my life is in danger. There are people who seek to kill me. And then verse 3 is where we find the question that this psalm poses. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well. There it is. If everything we hold dear in terms of the principles upon which our lives are built, or maybe to extend that principle out to the, to the principles upon which American society is supposedly founded, if those foundations are destroyed, what, what can Christians do? What are we supposed to do? What is there to do? What kind of solution? Would there possibly be when the very foundations of our lives and our society seem like they're shaken to the core? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So Psalm 10 poses the question, why? Why is this happening? Lord, why are you letting this happen? Psalm 11 poses the question, what are we going to do? What are are we supposed to do if the foundations are destroyed? Well, that brings us to a third question that I think Psalm 12, it doesn't ask this question explicitly, but it implies this question. Then that third question is this. Where are those who love righteousness? Where are, where are all of the people who belong to the Lord? Where are the people who are willing to stand up for truth? Where are the people with the courage and the conviction to say what's right and to do what's right in the face of so much confusion and chaos? Look at Psalm chapter 12. And here it's David again, and David's prayer is, Lord, help, (laughs) right there in verse 1, help, Lord, for the godly man ceases to be, 
for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. In other words, he's looking around and he's saying, Lord, it seems like all of the people who truly love you, who are courageous enough to stand up and speak the truth, it seems like they're becoming fewer and fewer. It's a bit like Elijah when he, in 1 Kings 19 and 20, right after he had uh, had that amazing um, encounter with the prophets of Baal, and of course, fire had come down from heaven and consumed the offering on the altar, and Elijah had had his great victory. The very next chapter, he flees into the wilderness, and he's there, and God meets him there and asks him, Elijah, why are you here? And Elijah says, I'm, I'm the last one. I'm the last one. I feel like there's nobody else left who's willing to fight for truth, to contend for truth, to stand up for convictions, to stand up for the gospel. And of course, God reminds Elijah in that moment that he always, the Lord, always has a remnant of true faithful believers. But it can feel that way sometimes where we feel like we're all alone. And here's David expressing that same sentiment. Lord, where where have all of your people gone? Then in verse 2, he begins to describe the society that he's concerned about. This is a description of his enemies. They speak falsehood to one another with flattering lips and a double tongue or a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great things, who have said, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Who is master over us? And then even at the end of Psalm 12 and verse 8, if you look down there, David makes an amazing observation. He says, the wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. What a statement that when a society begins to exalt wickedness, when a a society begins to elevate sin, you think of Romans 1, that they not only do these things, but they give hearty approval to others. Uh, It only emboldens additional wickedness. And for those of us who love righteousness because we love the Lord, we might find ourselves asking like David asks, or at least the implied question here in Psalm 12, Lord, where are the people who love you, who love righteousness, who love justice as it's defined in your word? Well, that brings us to Psalm 13 in our survey of these four psalms. Psalm 13, because there's a fourth question that the psalmist asks. And that question, the first question was why? That's Psalm 10. Why are you letting this happen? The second question was, what are we supposed to do? That's Psalm 11. The third question implied is, where are all the people who love righteousness? And the fourth question, it's explicit in Psalm 13 is the question, how long? How long is this going to last? Uh, In fact, it was this psalm, Psalm 13, that um, my family and I read, uh, it was almost a month ago now, I remember it because we were reading the psalm that corresponded with the day of the month. And so we were reading Psalm 13 on May 13th, and... That was significant because it was March 13th, two months earlier, when the seminary, the master seminary, when we had made the decision that we were going to close our campus and go to remote instruction for the rest of the semester. In fact, it was March 13th that the initial stay-at-home orders were, um, were put in place. At least that's my recollection. So March 13th to May 13th, it had been two months of quarantine. And we read Psalm 13 
And the question that David asks, in fact, he asks it four times in this psalm, is the question, how long? And that certainly resonated with me when I read that. And here we are almost a month later, and we're still asking this question. So look at Psalm 13, and look at the question that David asks. It says it right there at the beginning of the psalm. How long, O Lord? How long? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? I find it fascinating in those two verses that David repeats that question four times. In fact, it's the It's the most that that question is repeated in the book of Psalms. And here it is in just two verses at the beginning of Psalm 13. And again, I think this is a question that I know this is a question that resonates in my own heart. I'm sure it's a question that resonates in yours, which is, Lord, how long are we going to have to stay in this uh, very strange, temporary new normal while we wait to get back to some semblance of the old normal where we can function without having to think about social distancing guidelines and without having to wear masks everywhere we go. How long is this going to last? And it doesn't have to be a global pandemic for this to be a question that we find ourselves asking. I know from my own life that there are times when I've gone through challenges, challenging seasons, and the question that I ask the Lord is, how long? And I know there are some of you who are going through specific trials, and you're asking the question, Lord, how much longer? And I think it's helpful to see David asking that same question, how long? Verse 3, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death, and my enemy will say I have overcome him, and my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. So, of course, in David's context, he again is referring to enemies who sought his life, whether it was Saul, whether it was the Philistines, whether it was his own son, Absalom. And I'm sure there were other times when his life was in danger. Obviously, our context is different than that. And yet we find ourselves asking the same question. How long, Lord? Because if, if this keeps going on for much longer, it kind of feels like we're not going to make it. And that's what David expresses here in verses 3 and 4. Lord, if this keeps going... I'm going to die. There's desperation connected to the duration of his trial. So these are the questions that these Psalms pose for us. Psalm 10, why is this happening? Psalm 11, what are we going to do? Psalm 12, where are the people who will stand for what's right and true and just? And Psalm 13, how long is this going to last? Well, I think those are all very natural questions that we find ourselves asking in times of difficulty. And I know I've found myself asking those questions in recent months and weeks and days as we've all been cast into this turbulent, unprecedented, confusing, and seemingly chaotic season for our country and honestly for our world. But what I want us to do now is I want us to go back through those four Psalms and I want us to see how the Word of God answers those questions. Because I I think you'll be really 
encouraged. I know I was encouraged and um, I found it fascinating, to be honest, to find out that actually those Psalms don't answer those questions at all, at least not directly and not in a way that we might expect. Psalm 10 doesn't tell us why. And Psalm 11 doesn't give specific application for how people can get out of their specific trial. The question was, what can we do? And the answer is not, well, do this, this, and this, and then the trial will be done. Psalm 12 doesn't tell us where all the righteous people have gone. And Psalm 13, it doesn't tell us how long this is going to last. So it's, it's really fascinating that the Psalms pose a question, and then the question doesn't get directly answered. Instead, what the Psalms give us is a much more important answer to actually a much more important question that we ought to be asking. And that question that we ought to be asking is not so much why or what are we going to do or where have all the good people gone or how long is this going to last? I think those questions, I don't think it's sinful to ask those questions as long as the answer that we ultimately come to is the right answer. But the real question that the psalmist wants us to ask, the real question that the Word of God wants us to ask, is the question, who? Who? And what I mean by that is, instead of asking, why is this happening, we ought to be asking, who am I trusting? in this. Instead of what are we going to do, I I should ask, who can I go to who knows what to do? Instead of where have all the righteous people gone, (laughs) we we ought to say, well, well, who can I look to who I know is always there? And instead of how long, it's, well, who do I know who has the timing of this sovereignly in his hands? And so the real question that we ought to ask is the question, who? And it's a question that points our eyes, it directs our attention to to God himself. And I want to show you this, that in each of these four psalms, the psalmist poses the normal human question, but then ultimately gives us the answer that transcends those questions and points us our hearts, our minds, our souls, it points us and directs us to place our trust in God. Because he is the answer to all of those questions. And so I may not know why, and I may not know how long, but I do know who has me in his hands, who has me in his heart, and who has me in the place of his perfect providential protection and care. So look at this. Let's go back through and uh, look at Psalm 10. If we go all the way down to verse 16, remember Psalm 10 started with the question, why? But it ends by answering the question, who? Verse 16, here is how the psalmist answers the question, why? Why are you letting this happen, Lord? Answer, I'm not going to tell you why I'm letting this happen, but what I am going to tell you is verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. Nations have perished from his hand. O Lord, you have have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to vindicate the orphan and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth will no longer cause terror. I love those verses. Verses 16 to 18 of Psalm 10, and I love the definitive declaration of verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. And he will bring all things to justice. He will vindicate his word, he will vindicate his law, he will vindicate his people. But isn't that interesting? Verse one, why are you letting this happen? Answer, you don't need to know why. 
What you need to know is that I, the Lord, am king, and I will accomplish my perfect purposes to bring everything into conformity with what is right and according to my perfect plan. What a great answer. It doesn't specifically answer the why question, but it does answer the question who. And then look at Psalm 11. Psalm 11 was the question, what will the righteous do? What can we do? And it it sounds like David's asking for a specific plan of action. Like, uh, what what can we do to restore order? What can we do in, in our context? What can we do to overcome a global health pandemic? You know, what what medicine should we use? What medical trials should we pursue? Well, the psalm doesn't give a specific answer in terms of an action plan. What should the righteous do? Well, verse 4. The answer to that is not a specific answer to that question, but rather, again, it answers the question, who? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain snares, fire and brimstone. Burning wind will be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. What are we going to do? Verse 3. Verse 4 and following. Remember who God is. I love that answer. The Lord is on his throne. And then if we get to Psalm 12, remember the implied question of Psalm 12 is, where are all the people who love righteousness? And it's right there in verse 1. It seems like the faithful are disappearing. Are we the only ones left? Look at verse 5. Because of the devastation of the afflicted, because of the groaning of the needy, Now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will preserve him from this generation forever. And so again, the psalmist doesn't give a specific answer. He doesn't tell us where all the righteous have gone. Instead, what he answers from the implied question in verse 1 is he answers the question, who? Who are you going to turn to in times of difficulty? Who are you going to trust? To whom will you look? And then, of course, Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2, repeat the question, how long, four different times. Verses 3 and 4 remind us, the psalmist's perspective here, Lord, if you don't, if you let this continue, if you don't end this soon, we're going to die. But the question was how long? And verses five and six, they don't answer that question. Instead, they again answer the question, who? And they point the psalmist's heart and mind to the Lord. Look at verse five of Psalm 13. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. As we think about these four psalms then, what we have in these four psalms, and the reason I wanted to look at all four of them, and of course in the providential arrangement of the psalms, they were right next to each other, is because these four psalms really articulate the the natural questions that I think unprecedented seasons when it feels like our health and even our very society is being shaken. The questions that naturally arise are questions like why and what are we going to do and are we the only ones left? Where did all of the other faithful people go? And how long is this going to last? I think these Psalms articulate those questions really clearly. 
They demonstrate that these questions are questions that believers have asked all throughout biblical and church history. And if you found yourself asking those questions over the last weeks and months, you're in really good company. David asked those same questions. Asking those questions is a valid thing to do. It's not wrong to ask those questions. But you have to answer those questions in a way that accords with what is true. And the psalmist, he, he exemplifies for us in each one of these psalms the right way to answer those questions, which is not actually to get a specific answer to those questions. It is instead to turn the why and the what and the where and the how long to turn those questions into a who question, which is who am I going to trust? Who am I going to lean on? Who am I going to look to? And the answer to that for us as Christians, it has to be the same as the answer that the psalmist gives us in each one of these psalms. It is to look to the Lord. Why is this happening? God is on his throne. What are we going to do? God is on his throne. Where have all the faithful people gone? Our faithful and sovereign God is on his throne. And how long is this going to last? You know what? I'm going to sing because God has dealt bountifully with me. What an amazing perspective. And it's the kind of perspective that transcends the circumstances and the uncertainties of our world. It's the kind of perspective that really, I think, is what Paul is talking about in Philippians 4, 6, when he says, be anxious for nothing, but with prayer and thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and the peace that surpasses understanding will be given to you, right? It's It's a peace that surpasses all human comprehension because it's not rooted in the why and the where and the what and the how long. It's rooted in the who. And by the who, I'm not referring to the World Health Organization. I'm referring to the person of our great and sovereign God who reigns over all. And he knows the why. And he knows the what. And he knows where his people have gone and where they are. And he hasn't lost a single one. And he always has a remnant. And he knows how long. And so we don't have to know the answer to those questions because we know someone who does. And we have the wonderful, the wonderful privilege as his children of simply entrusting all of those questions to him and saying, We are going to rest in the fact that you are God and you are our heavenly father and you are working all things together for our good and your glory. Just a final thought as we wrap up here in the final couple minutes. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 46 and you're familiar with that Psalm. It's the Psalm that, um, inspired Martin Luther to write the famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Talks about how even if the mountain should crumble and fall into the sea, yet we will not fear because God is our refuge and strength. And in that psalm, the psalmist talks about how sometimes the earth, he's actually talking about earthquakes, but sometimes the earth shifts and moves underneath our feet and it causes us to to be unsettled. And then later he talks about how the nations rage and he's talking about wars. And so there's times when there's national and international crisis and it causes us to feel unsettled. And then in verse 10 of Psalm 46, a verse that I'm sure you have memorized, God himself speaks and he says, cease striving. Or in some translations, it's be still. Cease striving and know that I am God. 
And then he says, I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. And when I see Psalm 10, 11, 12, 13, they start with questions of why and what are we going to do and where are all of the righteous? Where have they gone? How long is this going to last? They're questions that feel like they are the outpouring of an unsettled heart. And I think what we find by the end of each of those Psalms is that David has come to the conclusion that Psalm 4610 would have us come to, that we need to stop striving, stop worrying, be still, and remember that he is God and he will be exalted even in a time of quarantine, even in a time of national and international unrest. And so we can trust him because he is the answer to any question that we might ask in difficult days. Would you join me for a final word of prayer? Father, thank you for the reminder of your word from Psalm 10, 11, 12, and 13. Four different questions that the psalmist asks in the midst of challenging times. And yet one single answer that's given to each of those questions. To the question of why, the answer is, you are God and we can trust you. To the answer of what are we going to do, the, to the question of what are we going to do, the answer is, you are God and, and we can trust you. To the question of where have all of the righteous gone, the answer is that you are God and we can trust you. And to the question of how long is this going to last, the answer is still, you are God, and we can trust you. Father, I pray in my own heart that you would guard me against the temptation to be anxious, to be fearful, to allow worry to grip my heart. And instead, I, Lord, by your grace, that I would respond in faith. I pray this for our whole group, that rather than responding in anxiety and fear, that we would respond with the confidence that comes from knowing that you are God and we can trust you. Thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who enables us to say that you are not only God overall, but you are also our heavenly father because we've been adopted into your family through him. We pray this in his name. Amen. All right, Cornerstone, thank you so much. I hope you have a blessed Sunday. Looking forward to joining with you on the live stream of Pastor John at 1030. Have a great day.